0: It could well trigger a new era for our national game. The Gaelic Players Association met formally for the first time in Belfast last night
1: Players probably feel it's time that maybe some of their
2: ideas were heard. The Breakaway Gaelic Players Association and the GAA Hierarchy seem
0: set on
1: a collision course tonight. The official recognition agreement between the GAA and GPA uh,
3: provides for um,
1: joint commercial ventures.
3: The player development programme that's in place is something that's vital to the well-being of our players. You do your utmost to to serve the members and uh, that excites me a whole lot.
1: Every day, you know, we're working with players. They're the centre of
4: everything that we do.
1: You're very welcome along to the Players' Voice a podcast, brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association. My name is Kieran McSweeney, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Leash footballer, Colin Beggy. Colm, um, you're back in with uh, at, with Leash at inter-county level now, preparing for the remaining league games in the championship ahead. What's uh, what's the mood like?
3: Mood's good. To be fair, I think um, like you know we've a lot of boys have transitioned straight from club or close to straight from club into the county. Um, which has been good. Um, lads, are eager to keep things going? And obviously, we have we've important games coming up from ourselves for each point of view. We have two important games in the league. So, um, it's been positive and I know it's been a long year for players, even from my own point of view, it's been a long year. Um, just uncertainty, training for a while and, and then stopping again. Um, so, at the moment, we're just focused on getting ourselves really right for, for the first game uh, in the league and, and we're excited about that. So, all things considered, uh, pretty good vibe around the place. Um, just hope now we can get to it and, and hopefully get good performances out of us. Yeah, and look, uh, and hopefully we will. um Hopefully we
1: can get those those games all, all played with as little disruption as possible. At least still obviously COVID nineteen is a concern there, but um, look, I think everyone is really hopeful that the, the games can can all um, can all be played. Um World Mental Health Day coming up this Saturday and we have a very special um, episode of The Player's Voice um, this time for you. Um, Myself and Colm will be handing over the reins to Ian Power. Ian who of course is from um, spunout.ie and also from 50808 um, uh, which is the the, uh, organisation that provides the tech service for both GPA and WGPA members Um, when they are I'm um, struggling in the area of mental health. And um Ian's guests will be Shane Carthy, Dublin footballer, and Hannah Looney from Cork, But ladies' footballer and, and camogie player. It's an area, obviously, Column, it's one of the services that the GPA and the WGPA provide is uh support around mental health. And it's an area where there we've we've seen people speak out about the experiences they've had and and I suppose to try and speak out to help others who may feel they don't see a at the end of the tunnel, but they can maybe learn from the experiences of, of these players who do speak. Yeah, to. I
3: think I think it's hugely positive that over the last maybe maybe four or five maybe more years that you've just seen uh, a light being shone on this, uh, and more importance being put into it. And more people being brave enough to come out and tell their stories. I think when people come out and tell their stories, people can relate to that. Uh, and we've seen ourselves in the GPA. Unfortunately, players have been open to to contacting us and getting in- and getting involved to to look for help and support. And look, with the situation we're in at the moment, the pandemic, the environment, you know, a lot of isolation for some people, there's no harm just talking about having a tough time uh, and being open to having conversations with friends or close ones and, and asking people how they are. So I'm glad we have you know, three brilliant guests on today who, who obviously have more insight into this and I think listening to their story will give people a bit of an idea about what they can do to help themselves or even more so help other people around them, which is really important.
1: Yeah, look, really looking forward to listening to what um, Ian and Hannah and Shane have to say, and we'll be hearing from them very shortly indeed. The Gaelic
2: Players Association, representing the interests of all inter county players protecting their welfare on and off the pitch and supporting their development as people. You're very welcome to this special episode of The Player's Voice uh, brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association. We're here today for a special uh, World Mental Health Day episode. Uh, My name is Ian Power. I'm the CEO of SpunOut.ie and 50808. We've partnered with the Gaelic Players Association and the Women uh, Gaelic Players Association to provide a texting service to, to players all around the country. And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, further I'm here to introduce our two guests today Shane Carthy, he's uh, 26 and from Port Marnock um, at 18 he was part of the Dublin panel in 2013 who beat Mayo to win the All-Ireland I'm sure he'll be well known to many of our listeners um, he's spoken before about his experience of dealing with depression and the impact it's had on him so really excited welcome Shane. Pleasure Ian thanks very much. And we are also joined as well by Hannah Looney. Hannah is 22 and she's a, a camogie and ladies football player from Cork. And she plays club football with Ahada and camogie with Killa and she's a UCC graduate. You're very welcome, Hannah.
4: Thanks a million for having me, in,
2: Guys, I just wanted to to start the conversation really uh, a little bit with I think in Ireland, we, we probably assume people know lots about mental health, and I don't necessarily think that's the case, and particularly for, for people of maybe our generation and your generation, for sure. Um, when do you think it was that you really started to kind of understand what mental health was, Hannah?
4: Um, that's a really good question. Um, I guess, you know, it probably wasn't in my latter years in college that it kind of struck me that it was a thing um and when you look back maybe during school and in my early years in college I probably there was times where I felt sad and there was times when I felt low or whatever but I wouldn't have related to it to oh I have a mental health problem or anything like that it was just a lot easier to cover it up but it wasn't until you know we kind of saw a lot of sports stars speaking out recently um I suppose when Ashley Thompson came out and spoke that was kind of a real uh head turner for me and was like oh this is real and it doesn't mean that you can be really severely depressed, which happens and it is really awful as well. But, you know, there's a a large scale, a large spectrum of where these problems lie. And, you know, it's okay to relate to it. And when people start accepting that and to themselves, you know, it can lead to a lot more happier lives for a lot of people, I, I feel.
2: Was that a similar experience for you, Shane? When did you kind of start to understand kind of what mental health was?
0: Yeah, I was very similar to Hannah in terms of like I didn't I didn't particularly know what mental health was when my story would have be kind of began in the middle of fifth year. Um, I would have thought it was kind of hormonal changes going on in my body that was going seven back to twenty twelve, and you know I didn't know what mental health was. There was no talk of if, uh, if there was, there was very little. Um, in terms of the social media world, and only as I kind of developed uh, throughout the years, um. The whole thing of just kind of googling, kind of stuff, and and wondering like, what what is this going on in my body? What are these changes? Why am I feeling this way? And and it was a gradual process, kind of learning about mental health myself. uh, But I couldn't quite put my finger on. I didn't know what depression was. I couldn't relate to anyone uh, because no one had kind of particularly spoken out. And and it was that thing of only a couple of years into my, you know, I really knew what it was once I hit St Patrick's Mental Hospital.
2: And can you, Shane, can you remember, you know, the first time you felt something wasn't quite right with your mental health? And what, how did that kind of manifest itself for you?
0: Yeah, it was, as I said, it was the middle of fifth year when it began. Um, what I did know then, what I now know was obviously depression. And um, I, I remember I, I would have had things that I could have very much looked forward to, whether it be, you know, a particular match or going out with my friends at the weekend or uh, things that I should have been looking forward to, things that I should have been, you know, happy for. And for whatever reason, I couldn't make sense of it, um, that I couldn't just get myself up for it. And because I was seen to be, you know, living this idyllic life at the time, representing double minor footballers as as it were, I felt like I couldn't say it to anyone. Um, I was this guy up on the pedestal living the idyllic life. And, you know, I just kind of, my escape was nearly football, um, kind of keeping up um, tabs on kind of this happy outgoing person. And inside, it was a very, very different story. Um, And it was was only, as I said, kind of a year and a half, two years into my journey that I really kind of knew what was going on um, or had a better idea, I should say. Um, And then, you know, manifesting into uh, a year and a half, you know, uh, suicidal ideations and all these things that I didn't want to feel. I didn't want to have these thoughts or feelings, but I couldn't get too far away from them. And what was that like for you, Shane, just
2: in in particularly in terms of those that maybe that were around you when you were starting to figure out, you know, what the concept of mental health was and and maybe that there wasn't something quite right that you you kind of you were feeling maybe that, you know, it was something that was impacting upon you. Was there any sense that there was other young people around you, particularly younger guys who maybe had the same understanding or, or were maybe going through some of the same issues as you were?
0: Um, I, I don't think so. In, in around that time, it was very much a conversation that I avoided. Um, I didn't want to have it with anyone um, because, as my kind of journey progressed, you know, I was living this idyllic life, as I said. Firstly, representing Dublin minor footballers, then onto the senior panel at 18 years of age, and now a year and a half through feeling these depressive episodes of one and all Ireland, and a week later, I've had the first thoughts of of dying by suicide and. You know, it was very much a conversation that I, I wanted to have, but I didn't know who to turn to, you know, what should I say? You know, how will people react? And it was only, it was actually Connor Cusack. Um, I, I'd read his blog not too uh, long after having these suicidal ideations that I began to resonate with someone else out there. And um, Because I, I was very, I was running scared. You know, I, I thought if I'm telling the lads, you know, I'm feeling this way and uh, you, they're looking on from the outside in, you know, uh, thinking I'm living the little life, I just one all Ireland at 18 years of age, you know they're going to think I'm lying. And I was he, he was the kind of lantern for me to kind of, you know, try spark that conversation. It was only six months after, two years through that I that I really did spark the conversation with uh, with my parents. They were beginning to see signs and, and cracks appear. And and Desi Farrell, who was very very pivotal in my story, um, you know, was a huge help in that as well. Um, so I wouldn't even say the the young people kind of around me. Uh, they were as nearly as naive as me um in around that time
2: yeah, and I think that's that 's key to this conversation really about mental health is that we need to try to help ourselves understand from a much younger age you know the whole concept of mental health and and how to even kind of be thinking about. You know, if you're starting to notice things, you know, what to do in that instance, because I think so much of the, the issues around mental health is around literacy and not necessarily even understanding it, first of all, as a concept, and then secondly, having the words maybe to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and that, that's exactly it. And in terms of the education piece, I, I always say, you know, I'd I actually always refer to like back in, you know, fourth year when you, when you went on these infamous geography trips and everything else. I always kind of, I'm thinking, why not in this day and age that now we're beginning to speak about mental health? Why don't we have education workshops, as you say, with these young people in kind of fourth year that are going to be going through massive transitions as I did, as everyone does in fifth and sixth year, you know, life changes, college changes, career changes, um, and be armed with these kind of tools and resources that, you know, people are only noticing now with this pandemic going on that we really need. Um, and, and, and as as you said, that literacy piece around kind of um, reading up on mental health and noticing what these signs and symptoms are and what to do with them.
2: Hannah, can you tell us, can you remember kind of the first time you felt maybe that there wasn't something right with, with your mental health?
4: Yeah. So I suppose when I look back, it was probably going on a lot longer than I realized, but It's just a matter of me actually accepting it and and addressing it was kind of the big factor for me. So I suppose all through college, it was a lot easy to just be with your friends, having the crack, kind of ignoring your problems by going out and socialising and just being lucky enough to be in an environment that I had people around me the whole time. And I suppose last year then, when I was studying hard for my exams, that was my focus, finished my exams, graduated and then went and decided I wanted to focus completely on playing football and camogie for the summer so that was fine that was my decision really enjoyed it went flat out goal was to win two All-Irelands <laughs> that obviously didn't happen kind of came crashing out of the semi-final stage lost the football one week and or no lost camogie one week lost football the other and then at the same time as that happened I was kind of starting my new job and um, as a chemical engineer kind of hitting the real world and I was able to kind of prolong addressing how I felt for a while. I kind of went on a holiday straight after I lost that. Was able to go to America for a couple of weeks at work. And then I'd say probably this time last year I was kind of back on my own and I didn't I didn't really like it and I didn't know what to do and and then there was times where I was like, "Oh, great, people are onto me. Let's go out, let's socialize." And I couldn't enjoy that environment for some reason or another. I just felt pretty anxious around people and everything just started caving in a bit and I guess it was until my girlfriend kind of pulled me aside and was kind of like hey Hannah I missed the old Hannah you know let's sit down and talk and I suppose we did we began kind of chatting a bit more seriously and we kind of kind of realized that maybe yeah it's all good I can confide in in uh, my girlfriend Maya but maybe I need a bit more support maybe it would be good to talk to someone it was kind of Maya who first put that uh, in my mind and um that's when I decided to kind of reach out to the WGPA services because you know that's the good thing about the WGPA and um, we're all like-minded people I know that I mustn't be the only person in the world feeling like this if the WGPA felt that they had to provide a service Um so and that's kind of where it where it kind of began for me just to realize that, you know, it's okay, that things aren't okay, but you can do something about it.
2: And you're talking there about the awareness of people um, and that, you know, you kind of felt that, well look, if these services are here, maybe I'm not alone, but did you have any sense that, you know, people in your age bracket and in your, in your kind of peer group were also struggling with things or had been struggling with things maybe, you know, before you, you had kind of come to this point in your life was there any sort of awareness of people in, in your peer group? Because I think a lot of people think girls talk a lot more and, and women talk a lot more about mental health than boys and men do. But I don't necessarily know if that's, that's true or not.
4: Yeah, to be honest, I can't relate because um I'm just a bit of an outgoing, bubbly person. So anytime I was out with my friends or with people, I, I wouldn't try to, to open up and kind of let people know how I'm feeling. But anytime I, I would talk to someone, then someone might talk back to you, you know, and that's when I kind of got the sense that I'm not on my own here. Everyone is going through something or other that is affecting them in some way. And, you know, it's okay. Let's talk about it. And, you know, it's only now recently, as I said, that I've come to terms with mental health and how to look after it, that that I start having these conversations with my friend about having having the crack about what we did last night, more about, come here, how are you really feeling? And, you know, I've noticed that I was recently, I was able to provide that support to one of a good friend of mine because I didn't just try to cover it up by going out and having the crack. Let's sit down and have a proper conversation, you know?
2: And you said, Hannah, that it was when you sat down with Maya and, and you talked about the issues that you kind of said, okay, I need to do something about this and, and you started to look at the WGPA services. What was your kind of initial experience of reaching out for help? What did that look like and, and, and how did you experience that?
4: Yeah, I suppose um, I was fortunate enough that I had have a good relationship with Gemma Begley. So, you know, I just dropped her a quick, quick text and, you know, she was so good, got back to me straight away and, and lined me up um, straight away to talk to someone. And as I said, once I was on the phone, you know, with someone who's probably experienced and kind of can ask these questions that really trigger things inside you and kind of really open up to what the root cause of it is I think you know your friends can be really good support and can really help you but sometimes you do need to speak to someone maybe with that bit more experience to kind of get to the bottom of things and once you once I felt that I'd spoken with um, a person long enough or with a counsellor long enough to kind of get to the root cause of it it just everything seemed to be that bit easier you know you kind of hit rock back bottom and it was easier to kind of climb back up then after that
2: and what did what did sending that first text message feel like were you apprehensive or did you feel you know this is going to help me this is this is my first step on on kind of the road, road to recovery as you want as, as you might say
4: no uh, yeah i was definitely apprehensive and to be honest if it wasn't for the support of um maya i probably would never have sent that message so i'm really grateful to have had uh maya through that time um so yeah you know it was a bit apprehensive a bit of a knot in the stomach and even first just reaching up and putting out your hand is always going to be the way but once the minute i just started talking to someone it just felt like a lot better
2: Shane, you spoke earlier about um, spending some time in St. Pat's, um, and maybe some people may not be aware of of what St. Pat's is. So you might describe that, but also, you know, what what was the steps leading up to that, and and was that the first time kind of that you'd reached out for help?
0: Yeah, so it was kind of stemming from a couple of weeks uh, previous, um, kind of before my admission into St. Pat's, that uh, you know, conversation started uh, to you know, first off with my mum and dad, uh, about kind of what was going on for me. Now I didn't say a whole lot because I couldn't make sense of it. Um, but it was just that initial kind of opening up a conversation, look, I'm not feeling great and feeling down here. Uh, you know, we need to do something about this. Um, but we're in a very, very busy uh, kind of stage of the year and it was the under twenty one championship going on at the time. And uh it was one particular night in the Leinster final, uh, where we'd luckily enough defeated Mead in that game and um I went off for, for a for a week's holidays if for if you want to call it a week's holiday. It was a week break up to my sister. And um, my mum and dad thought I was gonna be, you know, confiding in her and telling her everything that I was perceived to be hiding. And little did they know that I didn't know what I was hiding. I just met them with the news that I did with mum and my mum and dad. So I'd come back um, and we're preparing for the All Ireland semi final versus Cabinet in a couple of weeks' time and it was rare I text Desi Farrell, asking him could he meet up for a coffee? I just went out with him. Um, and I knew, you know, he had previous a depression and he's a previous psychiatric nurse. So I was hoping, you know, he was going to give me all the answers that I didn't. Um, and it was where he had set up the, the kind of necessary appointments that I would need to have um, through the GPA um, with the psychologist in a couple of days' time. But that didn't ever materialise. The following day, um, I was at a training camp in, in DCU with the under-21 footballers, and I had taken a massive spike in heart rate, a massive spike in adrenaline, and I'd blacked out. My next wide memory was being woken up in St. Pat's. Um, and I guess, you know, for for a lot of people who haven't been in the mental hospital, um, you know, where my mind went to when I was told I was in the mental hospital was, you know, a dark, dreary room, people in straight jackets, button walls, and... You know, th- these are what the perception that people have out there from the, yeah. the films or whatever. And it was anything but. It was anything but it was, you know, I went into breakfast room, I'll never forget. And I made friends with people who I'm still friends with today, made those first couple of days that bit easier. And, um, you know, it, it was very much a, a difficult process. Um, at the start, as Hannah alluded there, that apprehension of that kind of first step, that kind of first meeting with the psychologist or okay. um And it was only when I started to unravel what was going on with me uh, with me over the last number of years and um, I began to kind of make sense of it. not only um from my own headspace but everyone else I could explain what was going on and it was like that once that first kind of conversation began it was very much you know the, the tops were the tops were open then and um I spent 11 weeks there and um, I'll never shy away from the fact it was it was a very very difficult 11 weeks um, but you know the support structures that were there Right throughout the 11 weeks were absolutely phenomenal between, you know, the nurses, psychologists, the team of doctors that I had. Um, And they kind of put me in a good headspace to be able to kind of attack the outside world again um, with a new thought process and a new kind of, you know, um, way of living, I guess. Um, And I was just even from there. I attended a number of psychologists for three or four years again through the help of the GPA. Um, And I was beginning to kind of, you know, live life again, I guess, um, with a new outlook so
2: shane you you spoke a little bit about the the physical environment there, but what did you think help looked like before uh you 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 access support and and what did it actually look like afterwards when you started talking to professionals and you started accessing uh the services
0: I guess you know um my my idea of help or you know going to a, a doctor a psychologist as I alluded to there was the directory room and you know um and I, I just, I just didn't really know what to expect, um, and you know, I, I was thinking that the, anything from the nutty professor and all, all these kind of, you know, physical kind of characteristics that that a psychologist generally has, but it, it wasn't that. Um, it was very much a an education piece, and through the psychologist, you know, uh, things from meditation to visualization to coping techniques um, to noticing all these signs and symptoms that I never once had before. Um, and it was essentially, I, I always referred to it in, in the hospital as my mental health toolbox. They were, they were putting tools into my box and that I could, you know, um, rely upon in, in the weeks and, and months and years to come from there. Um, and it was just those kind of structures that were put in place by the doctors that had allowed me to kind of live life again and thereafter.
2: And Hannah, in terms of, you know, when you first started reaching out and talking to the WGPA counseling support, you know, was it what you expected or or kind of what what ended up being the experience for
4: you? Yeah, I suppose in one way I kind of said, right, I've taken the first step. It everything's gonna be fixed, you know. I kind of expected to just ring someone chat and everything be be sorted, but I suppose it that's not exactly how it works. It's a, a bit of a a longer process than that but and that was something i kind of spoke about as well i was like come here i thought i, was, I thought i'm i thought I all i had to do was speak to you and i'll be i'll be fine and you know just getting my head around that that's not exactly how it works you know was a big thing for me and just accepting that it's going to take time and as shane was saying just having all these little tools and all these kind of things that you can go back to time and time again to to not let you get to a place where you're too low and you're too down to deal with anything and it's just nipping it in the bud and I suppose that's kind of the best thing I've gained I think from opening up to people and using a counselling support is you know I'm actually pretty grateful for for that time this time last year that I was feeling really down but was able to sort it because if I hadn't gone through that I don't know how I would have dealt with this COVID pandemic you know obviously this COVID pandemic hasn't been easy on anyone but at least I had these kind of tools, as Shane was saying, that I could go back to and kind of got me through the tough times that we that are all that we're all going through right now. You know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think once you have developed kind of those coping skills or mechanisms or whatever, they don't leave you. They're there for you in in all different kind of situations that that you might need them in. And Shane, just touching on something that Hannah said there around, kind of you know thinking that once you reached out and, and you started to talk to somebody that the, you know, some sort of switch might flip or, or whatever, um you know, you, you spent 13 or or so weeks in the same path. And, you know, after you came out and and you were using those tools from your toolbox, as you so eloquently describe, like, were there ups and downs, you know, is there still work to be done? And And I think a lot of people maybe don't understand that it's it's, it's a constant kind of thing that you have to keep on working on.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and I think, you know, uh, as Hannah said there, it's nearly the first thing of, you know, once you accept that this is something that, uh, you know, it's it's in your life and um, it's it's a thing that you need to deal with it there and then. And you build up these tools and resources. You know, I, I'll never shy away from the fact I'm now six years out of hospital and I still have my good and bad days as everyone does but because of the tools and resources that I've built up over the last number of years and continue to build up in different life events that I go through, you know, I'll never go back to the place that I once was because there's just too much has gone on in terms of knowing exactly what these signs and symptoms are. But it was that first thing in St. Pat's when, you know, the doctors allowed me to kind of realize, you know, this is not kind of, you know, 11, you spend 11 weeks here, it's going to be all good. It's that acceptance piece of, okay, deal with this. As you do with your physical health to, it changes every day your mental health changes every day and it's just how you cope with that um and I'm so grateful for you know th- that first kind of education piece that that they um you know put in front of me that I was allowed to kind of live life again as I keep on keep on saying and you know it was it was a arduous process it will continue to be and I'll never shy away from that fact but you know um I, I've learned a lot and will continue to learn even more
2: and I, I really love that kind of Toolbox metaphor and and lots of different tools work for different people. What are the kind of things that that you found most beneficial that you acquired kind of on on your journey through recovery?
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's key in saying in, in terms of what what works for, for me may not work for you. What works for Hannah may not work for for others. You know, it's it's very much about finding out what works for you. And for me personally, you know, a massive thing was um, physical exercise. It got me through those two years that I stayed silent. And um, it's, you know, those happy endorphins that, you know, we, we can all relate to post-exercise was keeping me, you know, above water. Um, but stemming from there, it was the thing of kind of meditation, visualization. I had a certain set of playlists, certain set of songs that would bring me to a happier place in time. And it just continued to add to that. You know, I, I remember um, I've spoken about it before. I remember asking them, uh, young adult program, as it were, and I was speaking to a 20-year-old at the time, and I was asking him, you know, what works for you? What do you do, you know, when you're having your bad days? And you was saying, oh, I do a bit of knitting. And I was looking at him with about 10 heads, thinking, you're 20 years of age, what are you knitting for? But nevertheless, the following day, there I was trying knitting. Now, it didn't work for me, but, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll always refer to that because it's very individualistic, as I said at the start there, and it's about what find, you know, finding out what works for you and, and you know, adding it into that toolbox.
2: Hannah, in terms of the support that you've received, kind of what are the things that you've picked up along the way that that work for you and and maybe anything that you that hasn't worked as well? I think often that's really useful for people to know,
4: yeah, I suppose there's one thing I'm still trying to work on, but I'm not getting there is the whole like breathing and mindfulness um mm-hmm. i can't can't get my head around that yet, but Yes, yeah, so that's something that hasn't worked, might work in the future, not going to give up on it, um, just yet, but something that I found really important, um, so that's a matter of growing up as well, is to talk to people, talk to my friends and have deep, deeper conversations rather than just going out for pints and going out for um, a boogie or whatever, you know, just have deeper conversations with my friends and so it's my favourite thing to do actually is, um, Every, time, every night before I go to bed, I'd write three good things that happened to me in that day. And it could be simple like, oh, um, I took my dog for a walk. I got a coffee with a friend or something like that. And for some reason, I'm a sucker for um, for quotes. So, like, I'll just, like, Google, I don't know, how am I feeling? I'm feel- resilient, quotes about resilience. And I'd have a quick scroll and find something that I can kind of relate to or something that gives me a bit of a kick. And I'd write that down as well. Uh, And then some, yeah, I I really find journaling kind of works for me. Um, You know, so some days if I'm, the days I'm feeling good, it'll be three quick points and a little quote. And then on the days that haven't gone so well, I might just give myself time to kind of just ramble. And it can be harder than it sounds at first to write about how you feel. But once you kind of get it out on the paper, um, it it does really help. It does really help when it's out there. Um, And then always finishing on a positive note um, before I sign off.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people really do find journaling really cathartic. They find it really beneficial um, and I definitely would encourage because I think it's one of the things that people often forget is is one of the tools of the toolbox. You know, it, it really can be quite impactful for people and particularly, you know, the the kind of gratitude journaling that you were talking about just um Shane go back to something that that Hannah mentioned there around deeper conversations like I think I think to be honest with you the fact that everybody experienced the pandemic in similar ways obviously you know it it varied dramatically based on the resources that you had available to you but I felt back in April and May people were having more real conversations with friends about kind of how it was going on and how it was impacting them and stuff like that but particularly Mm -hmm. in, in terms of younger men like do you think that that we're kind of getting to the point where having kind of deeper conversations than the maybe superficial ones we would have had years ago do you think we're kind of getting to a point where we're moving on and and we're kind of having those conversations we need to have with our friends
0: yeah 100% I I definitely agree with that and um, even kind of going back um, when I first kind of came out I remember my friends were kind of tiptoeing around me you know wondering could they talk about you know my mental health or what was going on for me, and I had to nearly make a joke about it myself. And um, I remember when I was on antidepressants, I used to call them you know in, in the lightest possible terms, you know my my teasers or my Crazy Pills or, or or something like that, you know, because I I need to lighten the situation for them uh to allow them in and and, and be comfortable having that conversation because I was very much comfortable, but it was as if that I had to lighten the conversation to like kind of allow them, oh, it's okay to actually talk about you know how I'm feeling or how are you feeling and do even you think accelerating it, on from that sorry do you th- yeah do you think it's a lack of confidence i think so I, I think it's between a lack of confidence and a lack of you know uh knowledge um i, I would say or, or kind of again going back to that education piece uh about mental health but you know that stemming from there you know f- five six years ago up until you know just april gone as they say the kind of pandemic and you know, mental health was very much a conversation and still is and, and is going to be a massive kind of part in how, you know, people kind of not only, you know, physically cope, but mentally cope out of this. Uh, and I found, you know, a lot more of my friends, my, my particular circle uh, were coming to me for help and advice. And I was only too willing, you know, although it was difficult to hear that they were going through a difficult time, I was nearly, in a strange way, getting a bit of, bit of a buzz out of this thinking, people are finally beginning to have a conversation about this. And you know, it, I I was I was interested in hearing how people were kind of coping and feeling and, you know, opening up that conversation for months. And I had people not only in my circle of friends, from people young and old, both male and female, you know, having that conversation. And even when you're walking out in the streets and everything and how are you actually feeling? You know, how are you getting on? How are you, you know, how are you feeling? You know, as Hannah said, a real genuine conversation instead of the, you know, the Irish thing. Oh, yeah, I'm grand and kind of continue on. It's actually how are you actually feeling? Um, and opening up that conversation so no I, I definitely think it's it's very much you know we're scratching the surface I think still Um but it, we're getting there we're getting there eventually
2: it's such an Irish thing, isn't it, to ask how are you, but not necessarily wanting the answer because you're afraid of how to kind of maybe approach approach it. If somebody was to kind of say to you, actually, you know, I'm not feeling that great, and it is totally a blend of not feeling comfortable, not feeling confident because maybe we just don't have the the literacy. and And I think the key thing often that people don't realize is that you don't really need to say much. You don't need to. You know, the last thing somebody wants is you trying to fix their problems for them Mm -hmm. you know everyone just what, what most people seem to to benefit from is just somebody who's going to be there and listen and actually take in what they're saying and and be supportive you know i think that's one of the things that that is a massive you know kind of misconception um when people are afraid you know when people come to talk to them about what 's going on for them, but look you've both been so generous with with sharing your stories and and Jane, it sounds like you've been a massive support to people who've kind of been coming to terms with their own issues um as well and and in terms of the deepening our conversations, Hannah that you spoke about, but both of you, just before we wrap up i'd just be really interested in knowing like what is the kind of the thing that you feel you would love. Uh, you know the people coming up behind you younger people and even those maybe that you know are slightly older than us as well like what what's the one thing you'd love people to know about mental health Um, given that it is world mental health day and maybe Hannah you might talk to us first
4: um yeah I think the biggest thing for me is you know I know it's it's a bit of a cliche or whatever but you know it's okay not to feel okay and just because you know you're just because let's say something terrible has happened to someone else doesn't mean that your problems are are not valued either you know so you know you mightn't be suffering through something horrific but you could still be really down and really low inside in what's going on and that that's okay and you know talk to someone but don't like have those deeper conversations again from a younger age, you know, and just recognize that you don't, the world doesn't have to be falling apart literally for you not to be okay for, and that's not, that's not a good enough excuse for you not to be happy.
2: And Shane?
0: Uh, my piece of advice, it's a question that I always get asked is, you know, if if there's a thing that I would change about my story is I wish I, sp- I spoke up sooner um, because everything that had transpired from there you know, wouldn't have happened if I didn't take that first step in talking. And it sounds like such a simple thing, but breaking that first barrier is very often the hardest thing. I can guarantee you, and known both sides of the story, the life that I've lived thereafter, I wish I had spoken up sooner. So my piece of advice to someone, you know, who may be going through a difficult time is to confide in someone, as I did, as Hannah did as well. It doesn't have to be your best friend. It doesn't have to be your mom or dad. It can be the man on the side of the street if you're more comfortable with that. But just speak up and I guarantee the life that you live thereafter is well worth living.
2: Just thank you both so much. I, I don't think you, you realise perhaps how, how impactful kind of sharing stories and for other people to maybe recognise kind of maybe some of what you've experienced in themselves and to be able to kind of move forward, knowing that people aren't alone, that lots of people have experienced these issues in different ways for sure and coped with them in different ways. But that, um you know, I think the more we have conversations about mental health, the more we're all going to develop that knowledge and, and to feel much more comfortable um, in getting that support so just uh, you're so both so generous and and make sure that you're minding yourselves as well because I know that you know sharing your stories can take a lot, lot out of you as well so I think look we'll we'll wrap it up there but just want to say to everyone listening that you know reach out if you do need support and the the players associations have both developed huge levels of of support for for people and i'm here today because of our partnership with the 50808 tech service and just like you said hannah and shane um you know a lot of the time when people are reaching out maybe they feel this isn't a big enough problem Uh, and that and that's one of the things we're always trying to to myth bust is that it doesn't have to be a big problem it can be whatever is going on for you uh, there's volunteers there to, to listen to what's going on and i think a lot of the time as well people who reach out to the service they, they do so because they just want to talk to somebody maybe that doesn't know them as well. And and sometimes it's just easier to have that conversation with an anonymous uh, person over kind of texting as well. So look, the, the service is there 24 seven. I'd encourage everybody to to listen uh, and to, to reach out to the, the service if you need it. Uh, 50808 and you can text the word GPA or WGPA to uh, access it. So thanks again, guys. It's uh, fascinating talking to you. And uh, I think everybody, owes you a huge debt of gratitude for, for sharing your stories so that others can can learn. And I think it, it's been hugely impactful. So take care. The Gaelic Players Association, representing the interests of all inter-county players, protecting their welfare on and off the pitch and supporting their development as
1: people. Well, look, thanks very much indeed to Ian, Shane and Hannah for their time on The Player's Voice. Um, bit of an armchair ride for us um, this time around, Colin. We were able to sit back and, and listen, but I think everyone will be able to take little bits and pieces away from that conversation and i suppose one of the key things i think that stands out is that it doesn't need to be a crisis that you're in where you might need support it might just be something you think or you consider to be something small but it might just be niggling away at you and just not to be afraid to to just go yeah and talk that's, that's
3: the key message from what i took from it, and, and again thanks to the guys for coming on they were they were fantastic um very honest and, and a lot of people can relate to different scenarios different situations they've been in but I think it's just where we're at, at the moment, um, like I said before, the environment we I mean, people need to be open about not being afraid to talk to people and, and asking the question. You know, if I think someone's looking under pressure, just ask them, how are they and, and, and how's everything going? A simple question like that can often, you know, engage them to maybe open up a bit more and we need to look after each other around here, um, players and people outside alike. So um great, great conversation from everyone on the panel and not a bad not a bad job just to listen rather than me talking too much to be honest. we're very used to it.
1: <laughs> that that's true too. Maybe people are sick of listening to us. Um, but look, um, it was important to mark World Mental Health Day on Saturday, this Saturday, October the 10th. And just a reminder to GPA and WG, GPA members who are listening, look, the, the numbers that are, are there for you to get in touch if you do need a bit of support or a little bit of help. There's the text service um, where you can text either GPA or WGPA to 50808 Or if you're in the six counties, that number is 85258. Uh, The GPA uh, counselling services, the phone line numbers are 1800 989 285 or again in the six counties 0800 044 5059 are the WGPA counselling service numbers 1800 200 and again in six counties 0800 389 5362. Our thanks again to Shane and to Hannah for sharing their stories and for Ian for lending us his expertise um, in talking them through the uh, conversation over the course of the last thirty-five minutes or so. Um, Column, to will be yourself, and myself back again the next day. Looking forward to it. Take Thank you, guys, very much.